You're listening to the Catholic Fragments Podcast, where we explore the treasures of Catholicism, the fullness of truth revealed in Jesus Christ and His Church. I'm your host, Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and I invite you to join me in gathering up the fragments of the truth that sets us free. pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A reading from the letter of St. Jude. But you, beloved, remember the words spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they told you, in the last time there will be scoffers who will live according to their own godless desires. These are the ones who cause divisions. They live on the natural plane, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God and wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. On those who waver, have mercy. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. On others, have mercy with fear abhorring even the outer garment stained by the flesh. To the one who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you unblemished and exultant in the presence of his glory, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority from ages past, now and for ages to come. Amen. St. Dionysius the Areopagite, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Catholic Fragments Podcast. I'm Dr. Donald Wallenfang, and what a gift to explore together the question of evil as an important way of testifying all the more to the good. We will feature the writings of a rather unknown 5th century Catholic theologian named Dionysius. In all of my studies, his treatment of the problem of evil I have found to be one of the best, even though we won't have time to read his entire treatment of evil. We will comment on a few essential fragments of it. So let's begin. First of all, who is Dionysius, this enigmatic figure? He's also known as the Pseudo-Dionysius, or simply Dennis, was a late 5th century theologian who integrated the Greek philosophical heritage of Plato, especially the movement known as Neoplatonism, with Christian revelation. Dionysius recognized the convergence of truth between Greek philosophy and Christian faith. Neoplatonism also was a very influential philosophical school in the work of St. Augustine of Hippo. So Dionysius, the one we're talking about in this podcast episode, is not to be confused with the first century St. Dionysius the Areopagite. We read about that Paul brought to conversion in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 17. Or not to be confused with the third century St. Denis, who was the first bishop of Paris and a martyr. 
But the Dionysius we're going to be talking about and quoting from his work, written originally in Greek, but here in English translation, of course, this Dionysius was a very influential theologian throughout the history of the church, and his work especially influenced St. Thomas Aquinas and a host of other theologians throughout the centuries. This Dionysius employed a rhetorical device called in Latin declamatio, or in Greek pseudonym, or what we also call in English a pen name. He adopted the name of the mysterious first century convert of St. Paul Dionysius the Areopagite, who was a member of the Judicial Council of Athens, known as the Areopagus. Using this pen name in the late 5th century, invested his writings with apostolic authority, and fortunately, his writings are indeed illuminating of the truth revealed in Christ. Dionysius wrote a variety of texts, including the Divine Names, Mystical Theology, the Ecclesiastical Hierarchy, and the Celestial Hierarchy. He even is credited with coining the term hierarchy, originally in Greek, to talk about the different roles, charisms, and stations within the church, whether ordained or not ordained, clergy or laity, the entire hierarchy of the church. And his celestial hierarchy is one of the primary ancient sources for the theological tradition pointing to the various ranks of angelic beings, such as angels, archangels, thrones, dominions, powers, seraphim, cherubim, along with the writings of Pope St. Gregory the Great. So Dionysius is a very well-known figure in late patristic theology. And in this episode, I want to focus on one section of his work called The Divine Names, the section in which he contemplates the mystery of evil in relation to the good. And this is the question of theodicy. It's called in academic theology, the theodicy question. How can we reconcile a perfectly good God, a perfectly loving God, with all the evil things that go on in our existence? How do we reconcile these two things? Many people find difficulty in believing of God because of this very problem. So to do a theology of evil is a very important step in understanding the goodness of God and what's called God's providence at work in our lives, beginning to end and into eternity. The very meaning of evil, when we look at the root of this word, means to go beyond a boundary, to transgress the gift of goodness. That is, to move away from goodness, to fall away from goodness, to drift from goodness. Moving beyond the transcendent beyondness of the good results in a subtraction from and distortion of the good. So this here is a clue as we begin now to interpret the writings of Dionysius. What is the meaning of evil? It is not a force opposed to the good, in competition with the good. Evil from a Christian standpoint is a lack of goodness. As simple as this. But we're going to get now into some of his discussion about evil for us to understand it better, again, 
the ultimate point being to lead us closer to goodness itself, who is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. So here in the divine names, this we're starting in chapter 4, where Dionysius takes time talking about all these various, especially biblical names for God, and also names we find in the philosophical tradition in reference to divinity, such as good, light, beautiful, love, zeal, and then thinking about God as being, what is evil in relation to something like being, something like love, something like goodness, something like beauty? It is actually a subtraction from these. It is a subtraction from these in relation to God and what God intended within the order of creation. So I'm going to read in section, beginning in section 18 of chapter 4, The Divine Names by Dionysius. He begins with a series of questions. How is it that the demons whose origins lie wholly in the good are themselves not shaped like goodness? How is it that good offspring of the good, they have changed? What was it that made them evil? What in fact is evil? Where did it come from? And where is it to be found? How was it that goodness itself willed it to be there? And after this decision, how did he produce it? Furthermore, if evil comes from a different cause, what other cause can there be for things except the good? Who is God? If there is any providence at all, how can it be that there is evil, that it comes to be, that it is not done away with? And how could anything choose it in preference to the good? So these are great questions, very important theological questions that we must ask, we must deal with. Dionysius is a very helpful guide to help us deal with these questions about evil. Going on then, he says, Now I will ask him, the reader, to look at the truth of things, and I would venture to say this much for a start. Evil does not come from the good. If it were to come from there, it would not be evil. Fire cannot cool us, and likewise the good cannot produce what is not good. If everything comes from the good, the good naturally gives being and maintains, just as evil naturally tries to corrupt and to destroy. Then no being comes from evil. Evil is not the being. For if it were, it would not be totally evil. Nor is it a non-being, for nothing is completely a non-being unless it is said to be in the good in the sense of beyond being. For the good is established far beyond and before simple being and non-being. So he's saying so far here that evil is not a being because it is good to be. To have being is good and comes from the good, who is God. So he's saying, so far, be, uh, evil is not a being. Evil, by contrast, he says, is not among the things that have being, nor is it among what is not in being. It has a greater non-existence and otherness from the good than non-being has. That's an amazing thing to say there. 
that evil has even a greater non-existence than non-being. <laughs> wow, so it's like uh, a subtraction from zero. It, we're into negative integers here when we're talking about evil. A subtraction from the good that is worse than non-being because non-being itself is a concept in relation to being. So evil is worse than non-being. Then moving ahead to another section, Dionysius says, all beings, to the extent that they exist, are good and come from the good, the capital G good, God, and they fall short of goodness and being in proportion to their remoteness from the good. So this is his understanding of evil is when a being falls short of goodness by a kind of unbecoming away from the good who is God. In the case of other qualities such as heat or cold, the things which have experienced warmth can lose warmth. Indeed, there are things even which have no life and no mind. True, there is God who is on a level above being and is therefore transcendental. But with entities, with created beings, generally if a quality is lost for them or was never there in fact, it is still the case that these entities possess being and subsistence. However, that which is totally bereft of the good, never had does not have, never shall have, never can have any kind of being at all. So this is how he thinks about evil as a concept. Has no being at all. Is so removed from the good that it is, in a sense, beyond even non-being, as said earlier. But Dionysius goes on to say, that what evil is, is a falling short of goodness. That which has no share at all of the good will not be found among the things which have being. And he says further, the same principle applies regarding the destruction of a capacity or of an activity. And furthermore, devils cannot be evil, devils or demons, because... They owe their origin to God. The good is the creator and preserver of good things. If they are called evil, it is not in respect of their being, since they owe their origin to the good and were the recipients of a good being, but rather because being is lacking to them by virtue of their inability. For as scripture puts it, to hold on to their original source. So, He's not saying that demons are not up to evil and that they don't influence in such a way that brings about evil. But he's saying in terms of the being of even a fallen angel, we should not call the fact of their being evil. So it's, it's a careful distinction. He, he's, he's careful to argue here that there is no force that we would call evil that's opposed to the good in competition with the good and could somehow prevail over the good. Evil, in this sense, is not a force, but simply a deprivation. 
even the being of a fallen angel, still, at least philosophically speaking, we could say there is goodness in being, but not in their unbecoming activity that subtracts from the goodness of God. So another way to put this theologically is to say that God does not stop loving what God has made even when the creature stops loving God. This is why hell is a reality. Not because God delights in punishing people and causing people pain and people persons, whether angelic or human, but because God does not stop loving fallen angels or human beings that have turned away from God. It doesn't mean that everyone is saved in the end at all. God gives every personal creature this free will to either accept or reject the gift of his salvation, the gift of the fullness of his goodness. Dionysius goes on, For I ask you, in what way are the demons evil except in the fact that they have put an end to the habit and the activity of divine good things? If this is not so, then the devils are naturally evil, and they must ever remain evil. But evil, by definition, is impermanent. And if the devils are always in the same condition, they cannot be evil. Permanence is a property of the good. And if the devils are not permanently evil, then they are not evil by nature. Their evil consists in the lack of the angelic virtues. Therefore, they do not totally lack a share of the good, for they certainly exist and live and exercise their intelligence and have within them some stirrings of desire. If they are declared to be evil, the reason lies in their weakness regarding their natural activity. Their deviation is the evil in them. Their move away from what befits them. It is a privation in them, an imperfection of powerlessness, it is a weakness, a lapse, an abandonment of the capacity they have to be perfect. And insofar as they wish for evil, they wish for what is not really there. And that's the truth about any and all sin that us human beings experience in temptation. Temptation arouses a desire to wish for what is really not there. It's not real. Fame, honor, lustful desires of all kinds, things that in themselves do not equate to happiness because they're not real. Even money. <laughs> Even money, in a real sense, is not real. All of the dollars we spend and we never hold them in our hands. Money is a form of potency. And potency is nothing unless it is actualized by a being, a will that already has being. But money itself is something to the degree that we grant it some status. And it's the absurdity of the desire for money, as St. Paul says, is the root of all evil, this desire for money. The desire for what is not really there. So 
in contrast to the almost pure potency of money, is the pure actuality of God. God is the really real, and evil is a movement toward what is not really there, what is indeed non-existence, or less than non-existence. Final passage I want to share with you from Dionysius. He draws this discourse on evil to a close by saying, So then, evil has no being, nor does it inhere in the things that have being. There is no place for evil as such, and its origin is due to a defect rather than to a capacity. And as for the demons, the good, God, is their source, and the fact of their existence itself is good. Don't confuse him on this point, though. It's a very careful point he's making. It's a very philosophical point. Again, it's the basic point that to be is good. Even if you have a personal being who turns away from God, he's, he's really getting at the fact that God does not stop loving that personal creature. If God did stop loving the personal creature, he or she would be annihilated instantly. But it's because the unconditional love of God that never changes... That always remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. That the demons continue to exist. That hell is a reality because God does not stop loving the creature. So this is why I call it. This is a paradox about evil. But demons are evil insofar as they have fallen away from the virtues proper to them. They have changed in the domain of what was permanent in them. A weakness has appeared in the angelic perfection suitable to them. They too desire the good, at least to the extent that they have a wish for existence, for life, and for understanding, and their desire for what has no being is proportionate to their lack of desire for the good. Indeed, this latter is not so much a desire as sin against real desire. That's what's going on in the demon, in the human being in a state of mortal sin. It's a desire, but it's so distorted that it's a desire that could be defined as a sin against real desire, a transgression against reality, taking hold of a lie rather than truth and therefore holding nothing at all. Scripture speaks of people who sin knowingly, the reference is to those who in the matter of knowing good and doing good show a weakened grasp. Scripture also refers to those who know the will of God and who do not do it. That is to say, those who having heard are too weak in faith either to trust the good or to do what is good. There are some whose will is so perverse or weak that they do not want to know how to do good. In short, evil is weakness, impotence, a deficiency of knowledge, of ceaseless knowledge, of belief, of desire, and of activity of the good. So again, weakness, impotence, deficiency, lack, subtraction, lapse, forfeiture. This is the way Dionysius is describing what we mean by evil. So evil is a paradox because it's a concept without a concept. It's a concept that signifies nothing is there. Again, less than nothing. 
Finally, he says, now it may be argued that weakness should be pardoned, not punished, and this would be reasonable if one had to do with what is outside of human capacities. But the good, and again, this is a privileged name of God in his work, the good, capital G, good, the good, as scripture says, generously bestows such capacities on each as needed, and therefore there can be no excuse for any sin in the realm of one's own good, for any turning aside, any desertion, any lapse. So this is why sin is, a, is something real. When the will departs from the will of God the Father, when the creaturely will turns away and becomes disunited from the will of God. Finally, he concludes by saying in this present work, he's lifting a hymn of praise to the good for being so truly marvelous, for being the source and the end of all things. The good is the power embracing all things and giving form to things which have not yet acquired being. It is the cause of all good things and is not the cause for the bad. This is a very important point, and I really recommend the story of Job in the Hebrew Scriptures to see how this destructive, unbecoming happens. It's not God that brings grief to Job. It's God who permits it, that God would bring a greater good from the evil that ensues. But who is the destroyer? Who is the adversary? It is Satan. And this is the one doing the damage. This is the one causing division. But in a paradoxical way, because again, not that we're talking about a power that rivals the power of God at all, but something that successfully betrays casts illusion, deceives, confuses, distorts, simply by spreading himself across. The demons spread themselves across. That's the meaning of diabolos. The one who throws himself across, and so the creature is not able to see clearly what is true and what is false. When the creature starts to confuse goodness for evil and evil for goodness. As the prophet Isaiah says, Woe to you who call good evil and evil good. But Dionysius ends this treatment of evil by saying that it is providence, divine providence, and absolute goodness, surpassing the things that are and the things that are not. It is the power which makes good both evils and the very lack of itself. That's the redoubled power of God. St. Augustine says as much, Dionysius says this earlier in the work, that God would not permit evil unless God could bring a greater good in and through the evil which has taken place. And we might wonder in our situations when we experience evil, when we experience that subtraction from goodness, from life, from being, from love, Lord, how are you going to bring about a greater good in this situation? I await your intervention. I await your assistance. I await your miracle. I await your supernatural activity in the situation in which you will make a way out of no way. All things desire it, yearn for it, love it, the good. And it has all those other qualities which this foregoing argument has set out, he says. That's how he concludes this discussion of 
the question of evil, the problem of evil, the paradox of evil. He leaves it on a very hopeful note, pointing to the good. This is what we should contemplate. Not evil, not absence, but the presence of God. So may we continue to renounce evil in all of its distortions, deceptions, and diabolical disturbances by clinging to Christ, who is goodness in the flesh. And may we cling to Christ by plunging ever deeper into his one holy Catholic and apostolic church, feeding on him through his word and sacraments that restore the goodness which evil never could destroy. Thank you for joining me on the Catholic Fragments podcast, where you are equipped to think toward the whole, to pray from the heart, and to live as a witness 